0: happy sabbath everyone and uh, we will pray now as you are used to it we you pray for the speaker for the message and i will pray for you and for the message and me please Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Sabbath once again, everyone. The title of the message today is rather a question that we will, throughout the message, um, let the Bible answer. That will be a blessing to all of us. What is it to abide in God? Psalms chapter fifteen, verses one through Psalm fifteen, verses one through five, has a very interesting, um, development of uh, ideas and thoughts that help us to understand and to answer that question. The introduction says, verse 1, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? And then the answer is given. Who may abide in your tabernacle, and who may dwell in your holy hill. Then in verse 2, you can divide that verse in a few uh, portions, as you see there. It is he who walks uprightly, and he who works righteousness, and he who speaks the truth in his heart. And in verse 3, he says, He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And in verse 4, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change, and in verse 5 says, and he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. That list when you go home and study it carefully, you will know that that is a description of the person who can abide in God's holy hill God's tabernacle in his presence as good seventh day adventists our understanding is the following what do we call this building here the church right We call it the house of God, the sanctuary. But that is because we have developed a habit of uh, saying and doing what other religions out there do. They call this building here the sanctuary and the house of God, which it is not. Seventh-day Adventists are basically the only people on earth that believe that there is only one sanctuary, and that sanctuary is in heaven. This place is the house of meeting, and this place is not really any sacred than your home or than a tree where you sit under the shadow of that tree. And you pray and talk to God and God's presence will make that place holy. When God appeared, for example, in just a small bush that set it on fire and Moses was there and God told him, take the sandals off your feet because the place here is holy. Why? Because God was there. Is God in your living room? That is a holy place. Is he in your bedroom? But many times um, we bring other things to those rooms that take the place of God and no longer makes it holy. But wherever God is and wherever you take God with you, that place around you and in your life is made holy. So um, you, you are not wrong in saying this is a sanctuary in the temple of God and so on. I mean, like, a, you are wrong, but. I'm not condemning you. It's just a habit, okay? But we do understand. Now, God showed the st- that sanctuary in heaven to Moses and said, Make a copy of this on earth so that I may let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That sanctu- sanctuary was destroyed because of the abomination, um, of desolation, that, um, which Jesus spoke of. And Jesus, when he spoke of to his disciples, they did not really understand. And Jesus explained to them, when you hear of the abomination of desolation, spoken of in Daniel, okay? And then when you go to Daniel and you read Daniel, Daniel did not really understand it either. But Daniel says himself, you will find it, That he went to Isaiah and he understood what the abomination of desolation meant. And Jesus was speaking to his disciples that that abomination of desolation would happen again in their days. And it is also a prophecy that it would be happening in the last days. So the abomination of desolation in the Bible happens three times. One in the days of uh, the ancient Israelites, because they were breaking the commandments of God, putting themselves in the place of God. When you do not follow the instruction of uh, the laws, of any law, and especially the law of God, you are saying that you want to do your own thing, right? Your follow your own law. So you are putting yourself in the place of God. And that is an abomination that makes that place desolate. God, okay, you want to take my place? All right, take it. The place is desolate, is abandoned by God. So the nation of Israel, the temple was abandoned by God, and they tried to do their own thing, and their own thing ended up taking them to Babylon as slaves. In the days of Jesus, Jesus said that that would happen again. And that did happen when uh, Rome came and conquered and took over uh, Jerusalem and destroyed it in 70 AD. Because God's people at the time had rejected the lawmaker. Genesis chapter 49 The blessings of Jacob unto Judah says the following, and the scepter shall not depart from between your legs until Shiloh comes. Judah was in the lineage of the ancestors of Jesus the scepter not departing from between your legs until Shiloh comes. To make it simple and not be too graphic here, it means that you will be producing children until the Messiah is born. And Jesus was born. Now the Israelites rejected him. The lawmaker, okay, the lawmaker, And he refers to then Genesis chapter uh, 49 as Jesus is the lawmaker, Shiloh as the lawmaker, and he he is rejected by the Israelites, then the temple is once and for all left desolate. So much so that is why to show to them that because of their constant breaking of the law, God is not in the sanctuary anymore. Do you want to see it? See the veil? You can look inside. You will not be killed. Anyone can just walk in there. God is not there anymore. And Jesus tried to under, to help his people, his children, and you and I today, as he was trying to help them since the day, days of Adam and Eve, with the sanctuary that was produced on earth, that he wanted to dwell not only among them, but also in them. That that sanctuary was a representation, that sanctuary on earth was a representation of his desire to live in our lives. Making our bodies, in reality, his temple. And our bodies should be as perfect and holy and sacred as the temple of God in heaven. So, um, who may dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Psalm 91, verse 1. Who? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Have you always, have you uh, uh, paid attention to this text? Um, he, you and I, whoever, okay? Who dwells in the secret place, what is the secret place of God? Is where he lives, the most holy place. Who may go to his presence there um, of the Most High, uh, He uh, is. if he goes there, he will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And many times we read the Bible, and we do not pay attention to certain details. Uh, here's one thing for us to understand uh, here uh, a little better. Um, if you look at that text, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, who is the Most High here? God. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Who is the Almighty here? That makes it confusing then. Here's an here's illustration. F- uh, uh, I- Physical illustration. What produces a shadow? It has to be a combination of two things. Something here with the light up above. Okay? Then the shadow is here. This is the Most High and this is the Almighty. Okay, isn't it what the text is saying? He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the under the shadow of the Almighty here. So there is a higher most high Almighty. Now, the next text will help us to understand a little bit better. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high, Elion is. The Most High, a term for God, shall ab- abide under the shadow of the Almighty El Shaddai. A reference to Jesus. Jesus is what in the book of not in the book, but uh, in the New Testament, in the book the letters of uh, Paul, mostly like the book of Romans and uh, Galatians, Hebrews. He talks about um, the in. Theological terminology in Latin is the hilasterion. The hilasterion is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It refers to Jesus as the hilasterion, as the lid that covers the Ark of the Covenant. And what is inside of the Ark of the Covenant? The law of God. The law of God. So God, uh, uh, Jesus, is between his law and us. His law will reveal. Doesn't the law reveal? The law reveals everything about us, our condition. Light reveals our condition, right? That led makes it better for us to deal with the law. Jesus is in between us and that law. Now, in the good Adventist understanding of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, which is the parable of the 10 virgins, it talks about the five wise virgins. And it says that those, well, if you really understand it based on the spirit of prophecy to help you, You will understand that those five wise virgins, they, by faith, go to the sanctuary in heaven, and they are married to Jesus. That is taking place now. And if they understand his ministry in the sanctuary in heaven, they are being married to him. When he comes in the clouds of heaven, he does not come to take his bride to. Uh, be married but he comes to take her to the banquet the marriage will have happened already so it will go to the banquet okay so Jesus is the one that presents himself in the sanctuary in heaven before God the Father and we by faith understanding his ministry mediating for us are then married to him. When he comes he takes those who are married to him the bride to the banqueting room Mm, not anybody else. Well let us see if we make it a little less confusing. (laughs) Exodus chapter 6 verses 2 and 3 quickly and God this word God there is the Hebrew word Elohim and I I'm not sure if you remember when I ex- explained to you that the word Elohim is a plural word. In Hebrew, in English, you have singular and plural. Plural is two and more. In Portuguese, is the same. But in, in Hebrew, you have singular and two is dual. Three and more is plural. Only three and more. Two is dual. The ending for singular in, in, Hebrew, in Hebrew is, for God, is Eloha, Eloha. And, if every, and, and and the ending for plural is Im. The end for duo is A-Im. Ah, for example, the word Jerusalem, is a dual word. In Hebrew is the word, Yerushalayim, see, I am. is a dual. They have found one Jerusalem. Where is the other one? The other one is being kept by God. That's the understanding. There are two. Uh, the word, Im, is plural. It has to have at least three or more. It's called the plurality of God. And when in Genesis 1, 26, when it says, and God said, let us make men, the word there is the Elohim, a plurality of God, and and so on. And it shows his plurality uh, in appearing in various ways. According to his act as creator, he is one, as savior, he is another one, and, and he is uh, either Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, and so on, depending on how he appears. So he has a plurality of capability of appearing. He is one God, okay? Now, let us read this text again. And God, Elohim, spoke to Moses. Who spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses, right? So God spoke to Moses, and he said to him, to Moses, I am the Lord Yahweh. Then when he presents the word Lord, there he presents as Yahweh. I appeared, and he tells Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as what? God Almighty. And that God Almighty, I appeared to them as El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord Yahweh, I was not known to them. I did not appear to them as Yahweh. I appeared which is the, Yahweh, is the God the Father. Elohim, God the Father. Plurality of God. Yahweh, God the Father. Adonai is one of those references to Jesus. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the person of my son. That's in, in simple English, okay? As the Adonai. Uh, and that is, for example, as I said earlier, uh, many times when the word Yahweh, that could not be pronounced, they took the vowels of the word Adonai, because they appeared many times together in the same text, and took the vowels from there, and added to the Y-H-W-H that they cannot pronounce, and they made up a pronunciation that we call Yahweh, because it appeared with their other sacred name. Um one, one way of to understand it, if you doubt all this Hebrew thing and so on, let's go to English, it, even though we'll have Hebrew there. Let's go to Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. For example, this is David talking. He says, The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, Adonai and El Shaddai, These are references to Jesus as well. Adonai is a reference to Jesus. So David is saying, God spoke, the Lord spoke to my Lord. The Lord Yahweh spoke to my Lord Adonai. Sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. God speaking to the Son. Have faith, stay with me, trust me, and I will conquer your enemies for you. Okay, You see that is in English, but if you translate into Hebrew, those are the words used. If not, then you can stay with English alone. You will see that at least two lords are speaking. It is not I speaking to myself. David is saying, the Lord spoke to my Lord. Now, the Lord. To which one is more personal, the Lord or my Lord? Who is the one that came in the form of man, lived among men, that made himself personal to us? The idea of Jesus, every... Okay, now you understand the concept when the Bible says that no one has ever seen what? God. The reference to God there is God, God the Father. <laughs> but then when you see that uh, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. The Bible says that no one has sent the Lord. But now it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. And appeared to this and that one. The other Lord there is always El Shaddai or Adonai. A reference to Jesus. And the whole planet Earth has seen Jesus, at least at the time, 2,000 years ago. Um, Now, if that is hard for you to understand, let us help. This is David saying, the Lord spoke to my Lord, and so on. Remember when I asked you in the beginning, on that text in Exodus, that who spoke to Moses? Who did you say that spoke to Moses? God. Okay. Now, what if Paul changes that then? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26 is making a reference to Moses. Uh, b- b- they're talking about Moses, that Moses, God appeared to him and so on. And it says this, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, who spoke to Moses? Was God or Christ? So it's pointing to you. That uh, that was Christ appearing to Moses and telling him, "Go, okay, go, um, and present yourself to Egypt." Okay, leaving that aside, let us deal uh, a little bit with the uh, secret place of the Most High. Psalm 27, verse 5, it says the following: "For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion." Okay, when is the time of trouble? When is the time of trouble? Well, this may be a, troublous, um, a, a world full of trouble right now, but it is not that time of trouble. That time of trouble is a reference to the very end, which is, it begins with a little time of uh, trouble, the, the Jacob's time of trouble, the time of trouble, is a reference to that time there. But how will God hide Me in his sanctuary in the time of trouble. Where do you see it? You are here being persecuted, and then he takes you to the sanctuary? No. And it is not symbolic that he will protect you. Where are we supposed to be as the five wise virgins? We are supposed to be wedding right now, being married to Jesus, presenting ourselves before God the Father, who's performing the ceremonial uh, marriage. And when Jesus comes, he comes comes to take his bride that has been married to him already, to the banquet. Now, we are supposed to be in the most holy place with, isn't it, isn't it Paul, uh, who says in Hebrews that uh, we, by faith, appear Before the throne of God? By faith. By faith we appear there. In time of trouble, we are supposed to have our minds focused and dwelling and living in the sanctuary of God with him. And as long as we are there with him, we will be alright. And he goes on. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock. He'll, and Psalm 31 verse 20, you shall hide me in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. They, these are all references to the very end of our history. When we are persecuted, we have to be so focused and so used to be present in the presence of God that at the time that those things will be happening, we will be safe and not af- afraid, not, not uh, fearful. Uh, for example, those who have read the story of Paul in in the book of Acts, and then he writes all those letters, um, and you go to the Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White, and you will see how he died. That the people that were with him, that witnessed him dying, they were even even Nero. Who put him to death was shocked. It, it, this is my own words. You can read there in Ellen White's words, but in my own words, they were shocked with how peaceful Paul was. He was, she even makes a reference and uses the text about the death of Paul that is a reference to Stephen. That Paul also saw the heavens open. And who was at the right hand of God? Jesus. Stephen saw. And Stephen died that way. And he died so in, in peace that his last words were the very words of Christ. Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Stephen was living in the sanctuary. Paul was living in the sanctuary by faith. Okay? Now when the Bible says that and Enoch, Genesis chapter 6, it says the same about Noah and about Abraham. Enoch walked with God. It was not that God walked with Enoch. It was Enoch walked with God. And where, God, where is God? God is, is in his sanctuary. Enoch was there. It talks about Joseph, that when Joseph went to Egypt, he took God with him. Why? Because he was in the presence of God constantly. Um, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Let me. Let let me me share this with you. Uh, You are afraid of pain, right? People coming with a knife or whatever, clubs hitting you, stones. That type of a pain will not be as horrible and dreadful as the pain that is caused by the tongue. Of how your... uh, Words will be misconstrued, misrepresented, misapplied to condemn you to death. And you will go like, nothing about it is true. It's so a big lie and all of them are lying about me. Lord, that will be more painful, more painful. But the sanctuary of God will even guard us against those things. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 22. I will turn my face from them, and they will, def- and they will defile my secret place. For robbers shall enter it and defile it. Um, talking about uh, when you defile the holy place of God is when you put yourself in his place. And we see when the third time of a reference to the abomination of desolation, moving into the most holy place, is a reference to the little horn. As one who puts himself in the place of God, he calls himself the son of God, and he has the, says that he has the power to forgive sins and so on. That is a, um, a third time. Well, to put yourself in the place of God is, is the worst of all sins. And it is known as a blasphemy. Well, let us go here to Matthew chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Forget about the portion about fasting, I just wanted that for the context, but stick with the the portion of uh, uh, when you are doing something to be closer to God, to be more dedicated to God, don't worry about uh, others seeing it, God knows, and He is, and if He knows, and if you do it for Him, because of Him, and if He is in His secret place, and from there He will bless you, in order for you to do it for him, you need to be there in that secret place with him. These are all references to bring us back to the secret place where God is. To live in this world, but not, to not belong to any of the things of this world. But to live in faith in the presence of God. John chapter 15 verses 4 through 7. And then verse 10. Jesus puts it this way. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So you cannot produce anything good unless you live in the presence of God, unless he makes your heart, your life, his temple. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you cannot do nothing. You can do nothing. (laughs) If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And that's what will happen to those who do not abide in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. You know, many times we question, why doesn't God answer our prayers as he answered the prayers of all those men and women from the days of the Bible. This is the answer. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Then in verse 10, he summarizes this way. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in him. So the keeping of his commandment it is what is to abide in him. it is what is to be in his presence what is to live it is what is to live in, a, in the secret place of the most high. okay It is what is to live in the secret place of the most high. Um, I'd like to preach a sermon here sometime in the future when it talks about us hiding under the, the God's wings, OK? God's wings. And how interesting that is, and the meaning of that, which is to keep his commandments. Let me take uh, this one support from the Review and Herald, June 23rd, 23, 1910. At the end, when all has been said and done, those who abide in the secret place of the Most High abide in God, and God abide in Him, meaning those who keep His commandments are the only ones that will be saved. The others will be lost. And Ellen White puts it this way. There are only two classes in the world today. And only two classes will be recognized in the judgment. No third class, no more or less, no. And it says, those who violate God's law and those who obey it. Now, again, as I have shared with you here before, there are only two classes of people. You either keep his commandments, or you do not keep. There is no wishy-washy, halfway. No. For example, the the mark of the beast is put on where? forehead and on the right hand forehead means your knowledge right hand your action your works people have point more to work but here's the real understanding of that some will receive the mark On their forehead alone. That is, they will fully accept the teachings of, and they will wander after the beast. They will learn what they teach, will accept and obey. Period. Others will not fully accept and fully obey. But because of fear of what they will do, they will make believe by doing the works that they do. The works. They will make believe. Those who fully accept are lost. And those who do not fully accept but does the work just to disguise, they are all rejected. You either stand for what is right or you don't. No two, No more than two classes. You fully obey. If you don't believe and don't accept what they preach, you say it. I don't. And I will not even disguise to keep my job To keep my property. To keep myself from going to prison. Because some Christians. Some commandment keepers. People from the house of God. Will see that it is wrong. And reject it. But they will say. You know what? I'm not going to prison. I'll just go along with the crowd. Just to believe. But in my mind I don't believe it. And they will do the work. are all lost. So learn from today to say yes, yes, and no, no. Stand for what is right, period. Only two classes. No two and a half, no, and it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you have done everything right your entire life, and if you lived 120 years old, when that test comes, and and the dilemma will be, we talk about uh, the dilemma being based on Sabbath versus Sunday keeping. Yes, but however that it is not it alone. It is the entire commandments of God. Those are the weighty Ellen White says. That weight heavier. Sunday keeping or Sabbath-keeping. So, stay for what is right. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not, all those beautiful things. And the weighty one that will determine who you pay allegiance to is the Sabbath. It is not the Sabbath alone. Understand it. John, 1 John 2, 3 2 verses 3 to 6. Now, by this we know that we know him. How do you know that you know God? If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is exactly what it is saying the mark on the, fore, on, on the hand. Oh, I know him. I know him but I will uh, go along with this uh, worshiping images, uh, keeping on doing things on Sunday, and so on and on and on. They do not really know the truth. Do not really know him. But whosoever, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him we dwell in him he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked first John 3 4 now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that we that he abides in, in us by the spirit whom he has given us we have the same spirit of Christ we are strong and faithful and we believe in God the Father. 2nd John 2nd John there is only one chapter so you go by verses verse 9 Whoever transgresses and does not abide whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And the doctrine of Christ is a reference to his right doing. Right doing is plain English for the biblical word righteousness. His righteousness is his doctrine. Christ had only one doctrine which was his righteousness. And in that word he kept all the commandments of God. That's why he was able to love and truly love. Ministry of, uh, Ministry to the Cities, a book compiled with the writings of Ellen White, 182. If we abide in him and he abides in us, we are, what? Partakers. Partakers of his divine nature. So we become like him and are doers of his word. The love of Jesus in the heart will lead to obedience to all his commandments. His righteousness, then, will be made our righteousness. In us, we cannot do anything that is right, only in Christ. And he is where? He is in the sanctuary above, before the Father being married to his bride. Do you want to be part of his bride? Go there by faith. And what is to go there by faith is to truly to truly understand his ministry in the sanctuary in heaven. And to understand his ministry in the sanctuary in heaven is that he is blotting out taking out Our sins that were transferred there and while he is ministering in the most holy place as our high priest the house of Israel is supposed to be afflicting their souls and to afflict their souls they are to be asking for forgiveness to one another making things right which is the word making atonement okay so have we have you been making things right asking for forgiveness to one another when he comes out of the most holy place to the courtyard where his people are those who are found in sin they are cut off, we still have the opportunity. We are still living under his awesome, marvelous grace and love. The door of probation is still open. The test that will be upon us will not crawl in in a way that we will see it coming. No, it will all of a sudden be upon us and it will be kind of a hard for us to really have our lives transformed in that short period of time. We need to have that life transformed now. And it is by presenting ourselves before the throne of God, being married with Jesus, understanding his ministry in the sanctuary above that we have our lives ready. And then and only then that we can continue to abide in the secret place of the Most High.